Good morning. The title of our sermon this morning is United Going Forward. God has a plan. Unity. That's a beautiful, beautiful word. Particularly when it comes to God's people. Being unified can be described as coming together and forming one unit. Close your eyes for a moment. Just relax. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine in your mind secular, emotionally broken, immoral, angry people, as well as all those of other religions coming together to become a unit in Christ. One people, one church, they are now sharing the same beliefs, the same values, and a common goal. Faith in God and getting ready for the second coming of Christ. This kind of unity is very powerful. It's a tremendous threat to the kingdom of darkness. It literally takes down strongholds. This is why the upper room in the Pentecost was so powerful and effective. The conversion brought unity. You can open your eyes now. No wonder, it's an amazing vision when you think about what you just pictured in your mind. Someone you read about in the news or someone you knew personally came to your mind probably. As you're thinking, is it possible that person will become a Christian? No wonder God says in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Now bear in mind, unity in beliefs and unity in values do not mean unity in appearance, unity in culture, language, or politics. We may try to require this, but God does not. He created diversity while he was still expecting from us unity. He placed us where he placed us. Moving closer to our Lord's second coming, surprising events are going to happen as the Bible prophecies become fulfilled. Now the media has so conditioned the world, including the church, and repeat that, the media has conditioned also the church that we have a hard time believing that some groups of people are ever going to be converted or ever experience any biblical unity. Just admit it. We've been conditioned. God disagrees. Remember, Timothy says he wishes that all men might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jeremiah says there's nothing too hard for God. For the past 10 years, the Worldwide Adventist Church has been praying for the salvation of the lost, praying for spiritual power that we may reach the salvation of the lost. Particular emphasis has been on the Middle Eastern countries over the past few years as the church has been praying, the countries otherwise known as a 1040 window. As our church, our world becomes more secular, polarized, different poles, totally different, no one's agreeing anymore on politics, economics, race, then you also have fanatical religious interpretations going on out there. Violence has become so widespread, hearts are so cold, it can become extremely difficult for the church to see how God is going to save them. Rest assured, God can and he will because he is God. Let's take a tour through the word of God. Can you open your Bibles? Let's see God's plan for saving the hardcore lost that most Christians are puzzled how, when, if this is going to actually happen. Let's start with Romans chapter 11 for part one. Romans chapter 11 speaks of the situation with the Jews. 
starting with the crucifixion to the second return of Christ. Immediately after Jesus died on the cross, picture this in your mind now. This is the temple of God, the second one, not the tent that Moses had. This is the one that was built from the plans that God gave David. There's a 60 foot high, thick fabric curtain guarding the Holy of Holies from anyone seeing it. But yet, right after Jesus died on the cross, they witnessed it ripping from the very top, very slowly, all the way to the bottom, a loud rip, and everything was now exposed. The Father was announcing to the Jewish nation that their temple, their pride and joy, was now left empty. In rejecting Jesus' son, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Father had now rejected them. Throughout Romans 11, Paul uses an analogy originally found in Isaiah 11, which likens Jews and Gentiles to branches growing out of the root of an olive tree. During Christ's time on earth, there were faithful Jewish men and women who gladly received the message of John the Baptist, which led them to start studying the prophecies concerning the Messiah. You will find that in Adventist Acts of Apostles, page 376. Later, when the early Christian church was founded, it was composed of these faithful Jews who recognized Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah John the Baptist had told them about. It is to this Jewish remnant that Paul refers when he writes in Romans 11:16, if the roots of a tree are holy, the rest of the tree is holy too. Isaiah 11 says that the Messiah is the root of Jesse. He is the Holy One. We are commanded to be holy as he is holy. Paul likens this remnant in Israel to a perfect olive tree, some of whose branches have sadly been broken off. Jeremiah 11:16 says, Once you were like an olive tree covered with fruit, but soon I will send a noisy mob to break off your branches and set you on fire. On the other hand, Paul compares us Gentiles to branches from a wild olive tree, rooted in idolatry, grafted into the parent stock, the Messiah. Do I mean, this is what he's saying in verse 11, do I mean that the people of Israel fell, never to fall again, never to get up again? Certainly not. Their failure made it possible for the Gentiles to be saved. And this will make the people of Israel jealous. But if the rest of the world's people were helped so much by Israel's sin and loss, they will help even more by the full return of the Jews. I am now speaking to you Gentiles, and as long as I am apostle to you, I will take pride in my work. Verse 14. I hope in this way to make some of my own people jealous enough to be saved. When Israel rejected God, the rest of the people in the world were able to turn to God. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So when God made friends with Israel, when he does again make friends with Israel, it would be like bringing the dead back to life. If the roots of a tree are holy, the rest of the tree is holy too. You Gentiles, he says in verse 17, are like branches of a wild olive tree that were made to be part of a groomed olive tree. You have taken the place of some branches that were cut away from it. Galatians 3.29 says the Gentiles are now spiritual Israel, Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And because of this, you enjoy the blessings that come from being part of a groomed tree. In other words, you'll be blessed by God with eternal light and you'll bear fruit for him. Verse 18, 
But don't think you are better than the branches that were cut away. It breaks my heart when I see Christians around the world called Jews, Jesus killers, and God is not telling us to do this. But don't think you are better than the branches that were cut away. Just remember that you are not supporting the roots of this tree. Jesus is the root of Jesse. The roots are supporting you. Verse 19. Maybe you think these branches were cut away so you can be put in their place. That's true enough. But they were cut away because they did not have faith. And you are where you are now sitting in church. It's because we do have faith. So don't be proud but be afraid. If God cut away the natural branches of his own tree, couldn't he do the same to you? Verse 22. Now you see how both kind and how hard our God can be. He was hard on those who fell, but he was kind to you. And he will keep on being kind to you if you keep on trusting in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut away also. If those other branches will start having faith, they'll be made a part of the tree again. Catch this part. God has the power to put them back. After all, it wasn't natural for Gentile branches to be cut from a wild olive tree and made part of a groomed olive tree. So it's much more likely that God is going to take back his own natural branches and put them back in his own tree. The people of Israel will be brought back. Isn't that beautiful? Have you ever thought about what's going to happen with the Jews when Jesus comes? Verse 25, my friends, I don't want you Gentiles to be too proud of yourselves. I will explain the mystery of what God is, what has happened to the people of Israel. Some of them have become stubborn, and they will stay like that until the complete number of you Gentiles have come into the church. In this way, all of Israel will be saved. As Isaiah says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The people of Israel are treated now as God's enemies so that the gospel can come to the Gentiles. But they are still the chosen ones. This is Paul talking to Romans now. And God loves them because of the sake of their fathers. God doesn't take back the gifts he has given. And he does not forget about the people he has chosen. At one time, you Gentiles rejected God in your idolatry. But now Israel has rejected God and you have been shown mercy. And because of the mercy shown to you, they will also be shown mercy. All people have disobeyed God. And that's why he treats them as prisoners. But he does this so he can have mercy. Evangelism, page 577 and 578 says, The Jews are coming into the ranks of God's chosen fathers. Amen? Do I hear an amen? They're being numbered with the Israel of God in these closing days. There's a mighty work to be done in our world. The Lord has declared that the Gentiles shall be gathered in, and not the Gentiles only, but the Jews. There are among the Jews many who will be converted, and through whom you will see the salvation of God go forth as a lamp that's burning. Jesus said, don't take your lamp and put it under a bushel. In the last days, the power working through God in people, regardless of who you are, because he says it's going to be a whole number from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, is going to blow our minds. There are among them who will come to the light and who will proclaim the immutability of the Ten Commandments of God with wonderful power. The Lord God will work through them. Amen. That's a beautiful blessing that God gives in Romans chapter 11. It's very surprising. Ready to get surprised again? 
Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 19, part two. Get ready for the conversion of the Muslims. Isaiah 19 speaks of the salvation of the Egyptians and the Syrians, the whole Middle East, the Muslims. Since all the uprisings in 2010, known as the Arab Spring, the Muslim world has been sitting on the precipice of change. They just have no idea what beautiful change God has in store for them. The Prince of Darkness has sent wave after wave of violent Muslims to terrorize the world. That's why I said in the beginning, the media has indoctrinated us to think these people will never be saved. That's a lie in the pit of hell. If God saved Apostle Paul, if God saved half the people in the Bible and half the people in history, he can save them too. The King of Kings is about to, like the Bible says, lift up a standard against him and cause him to flee. Salvation is on the way. In Isaiah 19, God again uses imagery as he announces he is coming swiftly to Egypt in his kingly chariot, a swift cloud. Anytime throughout the Bible when Christ is coming on the swift chariot, it's for judgment. To the Jews, he came as a baby, a lamb, a messiah. But to the Egyptians, he coming as a king. See, the Jews have a history with God. He's introducing himself to people who have been a little violent, a little angry, a little dis um, too much caught up in darkness. And he's saying, look, I got to get their attention. I, I can't get their attention coming as a baby. He outlines the steps he will use to get their attention. It works because they're paralyzed with fear. First, there will be civil unrest and a civil war. Neighbors, cities, and kingdoms will fight each other. Next, the Nile River will dry up. We've had a lot of rivers and lakes throughout the world, and even in our country here, on the West Coast and Texas, lakes that were two and three hundred feet deep, people water skied on these lakes, and now they're all just empty holes. Baba says what's coming next is going to be the Nile River. Egypt has only one main source of water, the Nile River. For thousands of years, the Nile has been a main source of the Egyptian economy. But now the fisheries, agriculture, textiles, paper manufacturers, everything's going to go bankrupt in all the sense. Then God will put them under the power of a cruel, heartless leader. The political advisors will repeatedly give bad advice and eventually admit that they are helpless to turn the country around. They will recognize that this is Israel's God who is punishing them. Read the Bible, Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, story verse 16, when the Lord Almighty punishes Egypt with his powerful right arm, the Egyptians will become terribly weak and will tremble with fear. They will be so terrified of Judah, the neighbor in Israel, that they will be frightened by the very mention of its name. This will happen because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against Egypt. Now, when you look at current events going back, actually from history on, for the past 30 years, you had, um, let me get my names right, you had Mubarak, you had Hosni, you had one who reigned for 30 years, then he was overthrown, you've had three uprisings, then you had the one from 2012 to 2013, 2013 you had the military regime, during that 30 year period they had a very good relationship with Israel, Egypt was one of the unusual ones. They had a strategic alliance because they shared that straight peninsula right there, particularly Gaza, um, the Gaza Strip. And they're trying to keep out the terrorists in those areas because as they come out of Egyptian prisons, they arrest them. Once they serve their time, they come out, they go straight to these areas, and they cause a lot of turbulence in that areas for both countries. And so they work together strategically in the military and also in some other areas. And the new groups, the Muslim um, Brotherhood, is not crazy about this. They don't want any kind of cooperation with Israel, but God does. 
The time has come in verse 18 when Hebrew will be spoken in five Egyptian cities. That I got to see. Their people become followers of the Lord. One of these cities will be called the city of sun. Now don't miss this. The city of sun is very, very distinct in the Bible. It's the ancient city of Heliopolis. It was situated on the northwestern outskirts of modern Cairo. Cairo is the capital of modern Egypt. It's the largest city in the Middle East. It's the second largest city on the continent of Africa after Lagos. The ancient Egyptian cult, Junu, which is named On in the Hebrew Bible, was renamed Heliopolis by the Greeks in recognition of the fact that the sun god Ra, Helios in Greek, presided there. If you don't recognize the On, think of Joseph, who became prime minister of Egypt. The very moment that Pharaoh blessed him with that and gave him this honor, he also presented to him his new wife. He gave him a trophy wife. You had to get a society wife for this type of position. And her dad was the high priest of all. Junu is mentioned in the pyramid text as the house of Ra. Moses dealt with this same thing. When Moses went up against Pharaoh, Pharaoh was considered the son of Ra, the sun god. He was the firstborn son. Each pharaoh was considered that, that part of a deity, a royalty, a type of a god. But yet, that's why God had to let him know who was God by having his own firstborn son die. Because he felt he was God. This city is the ancient center of astronomy, idolatry, reincarnation. It's kind of a center for a lot of things that have troubled the world. It was a training center, sending people out throughout the whole Mesopotamian area, teaching the role of the sun and the Nile River and how it created the world. How fitting the Bible mentions modern-day Cairo as the place where the Messiah, the true son of God, the true creator of the world, will now be worshipped. And it will spread throughout the Middle East and Mesopotamian area. Where over 80 million Jews, Muslims, I'm sorry, will see the fulfillment of ancient prophecies because God does not lie. Verse 19, in the heart of Egypt, an altar is going to be set up for the Lord. At its border, a shrine will be built to honor him. These remind the Egyptians that the Lord Almighty is with them. And when they are in trouble and ask for help, he will send someone to rescue them from their enemies. The Lord will show the Egyptians who he is. And they will know and worship they will bring him sacrifices and offerings, and they will keep their promises to the Messiah. After the Lord has punished Egypt, the people will turn to him. Then he will answer their prayers, and the Egyptians will be healed. Sometimes our economies have to collapse. Sometimes our health has to go. Sometimes God has to get our attention. Because some countries nowadays are so secular and rich, we have no time for God. But the Lord said, it's time for me to come back. And I'm coming back for a number of people who cannot be numbered from every race, nation, language, and culture. It's time to get ready. Verse 23. At that time, a highway will run from Egypt up to Assyria. Can you put that on there?
Can you lower, probably lower just a couple of lights? Just a couple of lights, if you can lower just a couple of lights. Can you go back to the beginning? This is a picture of the Middle East. Right there is Egypt. Upper right corner is Cairo, the capital of Egypt, largest city in the Middle East. Crossing guns across that piece of land right there, you're going to get straight into Israel. Then you have Iraq, Syria, Turkey, etc. The Bible says at that time when Egypt becomes converted, a highway, a highway connects people, it connects cultures, it connects, it gets the message out there, just like they did when they were trying to do it in ancient times. And when Christ was coming, he said a highway, Isaiah says, a highway that we built preparing for the king. A highway is going to run from Egypt to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Syrians would travel back and forth from Egypt to Assyria, and they were worshipped together, the Bible says. According to historians, Assyria was the region in the Near East, which reached from modern-day Iraq, through modern Turkey, and down through Egypt. You went out before teaching them about idolatry, astronomy, astrology, reincarnation. You built pyramids to your reincarnation. God's about to teach you about the Messiah. Verse 24, looks like going to join with them. Israel will join with these two countries. They will be a blessing to everyone on earth. Then the Lord Almighty will bless them by saying, the Egyptians are my people. Amen. I created the Assyrians and I chose the Israelites. Well, beautiful imagery at the end of the chapter. Muslims and Jews are worship the Messiah together. Can you keep going? This is what God's looking for. When you watch the news and you see the terrorism, ignore it and just start praying. Don't let CNN so discourage you that you think, oh my goodness, every, everybody's a terrorist, everybody's out to kill me, everybody's look over your shoulder. The enemy wants you so paralyzed and distracted by fear that you're not doing the word of God. This is what God's going to do. He's going to bring unified people going forward because God has a plan. Lift up the trumpet. Now let it ring. Jesus is coming again. Jesus said in John 10, 16, that many sheep have I that are not of this fold. He needs us to help bring the people into the fold. How is God going to save the Muslims and Jews when they are so opposed to the gospel and to each other? All things are possible with God, people. He works in mysterious ways, and I, for one, can't wait to see this. He took down the Berlin Wall. People said that couldn't happen. All, you go through history of all the things people said could not happen. Still, Apostle Paul, the murder of the time, being, you know, becoming the new apostle, just shocked people. We haven't seen yet what God's going to do. He says he's going to pour out his spirit. Many Muslims worldwide have reported of having dreams of Christ's second coming. This surprises them because these are people who have never heard of Jesus nor read a Bible. The Holy Spirit is very creative in reaching the hearts of people who are lost. We must be creative and we must keep praying with more fervor and conviction and let these dry bones live and wake up here. It is amazing in both cases rejecting the Messiah is the problem. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Hindu, whether you're benign, whatever you are. But John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 
I don't care if you have the Torah, the Quran, or what you have. If you don't have Christ, you're not going to the Father. The Bible says so. He wants you to understand Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to let people understand this. Do not be discouraged by the violence in the world. Remember, sometime God will come heal things, and he'll stop things right away. He's holding back the four winds of strife. But sometimes he just simply just lets it die, lets it get really bad, and then he does a resurrection. In the words of the old Negro spiritual, we will study war no more.